Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to the Going Postal Cast. I am Christopher Chapman, author extraordinaire, and all-around just awesome guy. So, it is episode four, part four of The House, the last and final episode of the Secrets Out short story collection. We've come a long way to finish this book. It has been a long process, and it is finally here. Feels good, doesn't it? It feels really good. So, here we are. This is the final episode. We are going to be taking a little bit of time off, but I'm going to talk more about that after the story. So, we're just going to get right into it. This is the final part of Secrets Out. This is The House, Part 4. Enjoy! Mitch was blown away as he watched what seemed to be three different objects moving across the various monitors at any given time. They were spirits. They had to be. He could see Linda and Russ in the feeds. They were safe and away from where most of the action had taken place. The spirits were racing all over the place, mostly having come from the basement, the accursed basement. What he found in the basement had to be the reason why all of these things were happening. What he found was the reason why people were doing what they were doing, and the reason why there were spirits that still roamed free through the house. He didn't know how to stop it nor did he have a good understanding of how it was working. This wasn't his area of expertise. This was beyond anything he'd studied. One of the images on the screen, a figure that looked almost human, turned towards the camera. It looked up, directly into the camera. The image went black. The screen remained black for over five minutes. When the camera came back on, the basement door was open but there were no more green and red blotches that he could presume to be ghosts or spirits. A small speckle of light appeared near the door. It closed slowly on its own, then everything became still. Mitch stared at the screen, suddenly wishing that he knew where the old man lived. He watched the rest of the video. There was so much going on. Nothing was scarier than when he saw the video of the door while he was in the basement, seeing the secrets that lied behind the wall. There was so much activity, but it increased substantially at about the time he broke through to the other side. He suddenly wished that he'd never visited the house. Television show or no television show, this was not worth it. Mitch pulled his cell phone from his shirt pocket and immediately called Linda. He was shocked when it went straight to voicemail. Linda, don't come back to Carson City he said after the beep. There is bad shit going on here. I lied about what we were doing here. I'm not investigating houses for hauntings. I'm investigating the house. 
the apartment we're living in. There is a ton of activity going on, and I'm afraid that it might be dangerous. People have actually killed people in this house, and I'm afraid that it might be too late for me. I... He trailed off. He saw a flash of light out of the corner of his eye. It was his phone. His call had been disconnected. He didn't know what to do. He wondered if he should call her back or not, but he thought that he better wait a little. He was extremely worried that he was going to become like the other people who had turned around and killed others. He'd spent so much time at the house and had even been in the room where it had all gone down. If what happened every five years in the apartment was a continuing trend, he was next. He knew that the change likely happened without his knowledge. He was worried that the ideas had already been planted there, and he would kill his wife and son if they came back to the house. The best thing to do would be to stay away from the apartment and move back to where they came from. If he were to go into the house, he would not want to be alone. He'd want somebody that could knock some sense into him if he were to suddenly snap and want to stay in the house or kill his family. He was getting out of town. He couldn't stay any longer. There was no wonder that the entire town treated people the way they did when they lived in that house. With the stories that Shirley had to spread throughout the area about what had gone on there, it had to be a place of great embarrassment. He packed up his gear in less than 20 minutes. He didn't care if his belongings went back in the appropriate cases or not. He wanted them secure enough to put into his car and get as far away from this town, the apartment, as he could. He couldn't wait any longer to be back home with his family, in his own bed. With the last of his equipment in his hands, he placed the money he owed for the motel room onto the bed and moved to the door. When he opened the door, he screamed. He hadn't expected to see him there. Now do you want to talk? It was the old man. Twelve. Mitch and the old man drove back to the apartment. Mitch hoped that it was for the final time. Mike, the old man, told him about what he had known about during his time in the house, which was very little. The things that interested Mitch were the things that he learned about during his time away from the house, when he had the time to think about things and do his research. He told a story that his father had told him once, a story that he hadn't recalled until several years after he'd been sent from foster home to foster home. Once he had been away from the house for long enough, he was able to think about everything that had come beforehand. One of his father's stories, one of the things that had lured him to the house in the first place, was one of them. He told me that there was a mass murder at the house at the turn of the century, the 20th century, Mike said. The house was still young, barely 10 years old when the shit hit the fan. My father had heard stories about them taking more than 15 bodies out of that house and covering it up because of the things they found in there. I saw them, Mitch said. I found the room. It was still in there? Mike asked, sounding surprised. I would have never thought that they would have just left it in there. How did they conceal it? Brick wall, Mitch answered flatly. They put up a wall to cover it up. I guess they didn't want anybody knowing about it, but were afraid to touch it themselves. You have to understand something, Mike said. Back then, people were much different than they are today. 
They were much more superstitious, and they must have thought that touching those things would have somehow infected them as if it were the Black Plague. How about you? Me? Mike asked, then became silent as if he were thinking it over. I don't know what to tell you. I haven't been back to that house in 50 years. I'm not even sure why I'm going with you now. Because I will help you get out of this town after you do, Mitch reminded him. I will help you, but I have to ask why you haven't left on your own. You've had 50 years. You could have left whenever you wanted to. Tried, Mike said. Tried many times. Got into the vehicle to leave, only to be stopped by police or a massive pileup on the interstate. I even made it into Ohio once, only to receive a phone call that one of my dearest friends had died. I came back and couldn't find the energy to leave after that. Sounds like excuses, Mitch said as he pulled in front of the house. You've had all of this time to leave and never look back. You've stayed for a reason. It's too bad you can't figure out what that reason is. Mitch parked and got out of the truck. He didn't care if the old man followed him or not. He had to do this. He had to end all of the bad things that were happening to the people that lived in the house. The five-year cycle had to end. There were going to be no deaths this time. He was going to make sure of it. He reached into the back of the truck and removed the gas can he'd just filled at the BP down the road. He was ready to turn this house into a fiery beacon. There were two other cans in the truck as well. He used the first two cans to wet the perimeter, but he had to be certain that the basement burned. He brought the third can of gas into the basement, intending to start the fire there and get the fuck out before things got out of hand. He was surprised when Mike followed him, although he showed that he really didn't want to be there. You go ahead, Mike said once they got to the basement door. I just wanted to make sure that I could do it, but there's no way in hell that I'm going down into that basement. There's just one more thing that I need to know, Mitch said. I want to know what the weapon was that you found down in that basement. Mike told him. Mitch heard it and didn't fully understand how that weapon could be used to kill people. It seemed like something out of old fairy tales that intended to send you down a religious path. Mike seemed very serious about it. A sickle? Mitch asked. Like the kind that the Grim Reaper supposedly carries with him. Yes, Mike said. Only shorter. I was only seven. There's no way I could have carried something that long. It was much shorter, but that blade could cut through wood as if it were made of warm butter. When I sliced through my father's belly, I never felt any resistance. But that was how many years ago? Mitch asked. You can't believe that another one just mysteriously showed up again all these years later? It was gone before the police arrived. Mike said, The only weapon that remained was the knife that my father carried. The house didn't want it to be discovered. If you check the newspapers I gave you, you'd see that there usually was no weapon found, or they would find a guy with an axe digging into him. I'm not convinced that those people killed themselves. I think that the house did it. Well, that isn't going to happen anymore, Mitch said, heading down the stairs carefully with the gas can in his hand. He had to take the stairs by memory. He couldn't use the flashlight because he needed the free hand. Once he was to the bottom, he turned on the flashlight one-handed and shone it in the direction he needed to go. He moved across the basement quickly, 
wanting to be clear of this house as quickly as possible. If the cameras had still been recording, he could only imagine what they would be seeing now. Mitch could feel that there was something all around him. He could see his breath, and he felt as if he were touching things that he couldn't see. The house, or whatever was within it, was fully awake. He came to the area that he wanted to see burn most of all. He opened the top of the gas can and moved it forward quickly, pulling it back just before he would have lost grip on it. Gasoline splashed out of the opening and landed on the wooden object. He continued pouring the gasoline over the remaining objects until there was nothing left. He reached into his pocket for the matches. He couldn't believe how difficult it was nowadays to get his hands on a pack of matches. He remembered a time when it was easy to do so, but not anymore. He looked at the wooden pentagram on the wall. There were old stains covering it, blood stains. Leather straps were in the upper and lower corners. People had been strapped into those and then tortured. The upside-down crosses that littered the room were also covered in gasoline. The smell stung his nose. Soon, all of these objects would be incinerated. To think that this was all caused because of people who were into devil-worshipping. The sacrifices that had occurred in this house were hard to fathom, but it made sense when the murders that happened every five years continued to happen. The house was a spirit and needed the sacrifices. The events that had happened here a century ago left an impact on the house, and it continued to this day. Even now, he imagined that his mind was being ravaged by thoughts for him to kill other people and make the sacrifice for the house. Even Mike had spilled blood for the house. Mitch struck the match and moved it towards the gasoline. He was about to toss it when he heard a loud thud from upstairs. He looked up, forgetting about the match. A few seconds later, the sting of fire being too close to his skin forced him to drop the match. It fell harmlessly to the floor before dying out. It had missed the gasoline. He quickly lit another match, but that was dropped too as something came down the stairs, catching his attention. Mitch turned to see what had fallen. He thought that it might have been something that the old man had dropped down the stairs to get his attention. Mitch moved closer, holding the flashlight out in front of him. He came to the object that had fallen down the stairs and froze. His heart thudded heavily in his chest when he realized what it was. It was Mike's head. 13. Mitch ran up the stairs, the gasoline now forgotten. He couldn't believe what had happened to Mike. When he reached the top of the stairs, he saw Mike's body. It was lying on the floor. His head was obviously missing. Mitch's eyes scanned the scene, trying to take in what he was missing. Somebody was here, or maybe there wasn't. It could have been the house. He remembered Mike saying that the house had made sure that the people who'd committed the murders had also died. Mike was the only one that had lived. Not anymore. He started for the exit, only wanting to be as far away from the house as he could. Even over the sound of his footsteps, he could hear the drip of something hitting the floor. He turned, hearing the sound of something moving quickly through the air. Mitch dropped to the ground, more because his body had failed him than any instinctual thought. The metallic blade moved over him, missing him by less than an inch. He kicked out, catching the would-be killer in the shin. 
There was a yell filled with pain. The yell sounded familiar. Linda? Mitch asked. He rolled and popped back up to his feet the way he was taught when he played football. He wasn't as quick as he'd been then, but he still managed to move quick enough. Linda was standing in front of him. Her face was contorted and filled with rage. He'd never seen her like this in the time they'd known each other, no matter how angry he'd made her. Linda, what the hell? Mitch asked. She didn't answer. Mitch thought back quickly, trying to process as much information as possible. Mike had said that the house chooses people. Well, the house hadn't chosen him. He was sure of that now. The house had chosen Linda and used him to get her there. The house played on her, turning her into a psychotic beast that stood before him. She carried a sickle, slightly larger than the one that Mike had described. She held it in a position that would give her an easy opportunity to slice him again. Linda, Mitch said in a calm voice. He had to force the voice because he was as scared as hell. He'd never seen her like this, and he knew that this likely wasn't the woman he'd married. She may have been in there somewhere, but she was nowhere to be found. Linda, please don't do this. You lied to me, she said. Her voice was quick, sounding as if she were in a panic. You said that we were going to live here, but you lied. I never said we were going to. I knew there was a reason why you wanted me to leave, she continued. You wanted me out of the way so you could have it all to yourself. When you couldn't have that, you decided to burn the house down. If you can't have it, nobody can have it. You don't know what you're talking about, Mitch said. The house is talking to you. The spirits contained within are talking to you. I know that isn't you talking. I never wanted this house, but I'm not going to allow it to continue to kill people because it needs sacrifices to feed whatever Satanistic ritual that was performed here a century ago. She cocked her head to the side as if she were confused. It wasn't a gesture that Linda had ever done before. When she was confused, her face scrunched ever so slightly. Whoever this was, it wasn't his wife. Linda lunged forward, swinging the sickle. Mitch was quick, getting out of the way. The blade came within inches of striking him. He started moving back and forth on the heels of his feet, preparing to move in whatever direction he needed to. He knew that he should run. He was much faster than Linda, and would be gone long before she could do anything to harm him. But this really wasn't Linda, now was it? Something occurred to him that made his blood run cold. He hated to speak in such a traumatic time, but he needed to know. Russ, he asked. Did you do anything to Russ? She smiled, telling him everything he needed to know. His feet slowed and he stood there, ready for it to end. His son was dead. She had already killed him. Mitch had no other reason to be alive. His wife was gone, and his son was dead. There was nothing left to live for. He bowed his head, ready for the end to come, and cried for the loss of his son, and the inevitable end to his life. Something smelled funny. He looked around to see that smoke was coming up from the basement. It was a dark smoke that was billowing up. Linda was no longer focused on him. She saw what he saw, and had assumed the same as he. The house was on fire. He didn't know how it was possible. Had one of his forgotten matches actually lit the gasoline? 
it seemed as if that was what happened. It didn't matter if that was the case or not. The house was on fire, as he'd wanted it to be. The house was going to burn down. Suddenly reinvigorated by the promise that this soon could be over with, he searched for ways to save Linda. He could forgive her for what had happened to Russ because he knew that it wasn't her that did it. It was the house. He needed to get Linda, the real Linda, back. Seeing that her attention was diverted, he charged her and tackled her to the ground. The sickle slid across the floor, making an annoying scraping sound as it did. Linda, you need to stop this, Mitch pleaded. This isn't you. This is the house. This is the ghost trapped within. For a brief moment, he believed that he had gotten through to her. Her eyes seemed to understand. He backed away, allowing her to get to her feet. We need to get out of here, he said, turning towards the door. He was hit in the side of the head, knocking him to the ground. He looked up, expecting Linda to be going for the sickle to end it all. She didn't. Her attention had turned towards the basement. You're not taking this house from me, she said, but it wasn't her voice. It sounded far too deep. It was the voice of a man. It's mine. You can't have it. Linda went down into the basement, disappearing into the smoke. Mitch got back to his feet and ran to the door. He looked down into the basement, but couldn't see a damn thing. There was so much smoke coming from the basement that it created a dark barrier at the door that he couldn't see through. Mitch covered his mouth with his shirt and started down the first step. He paused when he saw that the stairs were catching fire. They were just starting to burn, making him unable to continue. Linda, he shouted into the basement. Linda, please come back. He knew that if he went into the basement, he wouldn't be able to come back. He weighed too much, and these stairs were going to become weaker by the second. She weighed half of what he did, making her coming up the stairs as the only possible way to save her. He saw her. The smoke parted long enough for him to see her. Her bottom half was covered in flames. She looked up at him with pleading eyes. Those were Linda's eyes. She was back. Mitch! she said in her own voice. The power went out. Enclosed in darkness, the only light was coming from the fire, which had engulfed most of the basement and would be making it to the upper two floors in a very short time. He dropped to his stomach, feeling the warmth of the floor below him. There wasn't much time. Take my hand, Mitch called out, hoping that he could help her. She was being burned badly. If she survived... There would have to be some time spent in the hospital to be treated for her burns. Linda reached up as she got onto the first step. Her fingertips were less than five inches from his. Something exploded underneath him, scaring the hell out of him. The remainder of the basement filled with fire, engulfing Linda completely. There was one small scream, then she fell silent. Linda! Mitch screamed. He didn't want to go, but he had no other choice. He didn't want to die this way. If there would have been a top ten list of ways he wanted to go, burning to death would not be on it. He got up and ran for the exit. The entire house seemed to be on fire. There wasn't much time as the fire started to run up the walls, engulfing everything it touched. He felt pain on his left side. He'd barely noticed that most of his left arm was on fire. His skin was blackening and blistering. He got through the door and into the yard. The gasoline that hadn't evaporated on the outside of the house was burning quickly, 
giving off the bluish flame. He stared at the house, knowing that it had taken its last victim. He hated the idea that the final victim had been Linda, his wife. He stared at the fire for what seemed like an hour, even though it was probably closer to ten minutes. He stared at the fire as the emergency vehicles filled the yard next to him, all doing what they needed to do to help. Some tried to talk to him, but he continued to stare. At some point he was forced into the back of an ambulance, but his recollection of it later would be minimal. 14. He came back to his empty house, sadness gripping him. It had been a week since the fire that had killed Linda. He didn't know what to expect or how he would react when he returned home. The empty house told him about everything that he'd lost. He hated it. Throughout the last week, he'd endured constant pain from the burns and from the mental anguish he felt on a constant basis. He immediately went up to Russ's room, expecting there to be a blood stain there. There wasn't. He'd avoided calling the police because he wanted to be the one that confronted this. Part of his plan was to end it all right there next to Russ's body, but there wasn't one to be found. He wondered where she had killed him. He went into the living room and saw a blinking light coming from the dining room. There was a small table there with a telephone on it. The telephone was on the cradle that had his answering machine. He was one of the few people left in the world that still had a landline with an answering machine. He couldn't rely on cell phones for everything. He pressed the button to check the messages, skipping through the ones from the network about where he was and when he would have the video from his trip to Carson City. He was seven messages in when he heard his mother. Mitchell? She asked. She was the only one that still called him Mitchell. Russ has been here for a few days now, and we can't seem to get a hold of Linda. Do you think you can come and get him at some point? We love him, but we have doctor appointments and don't want to drag him along. Mitch's heart raced. Russ was still alive. Linda hadn't killed him after all. She had taken him to Mitch's parents' house. He immediately jumped back into the truck to go get him. 15. Time passed for Mitch. Things changed dramatically after Linda's death. He quit his job on the show, insisting that he no longer had it in him. The royalties he would receive from the first two seasons would get him by for a while. He needed to be home with Russ. Russ talked about his mother, but that was becoming more infrequent as time passed. They were getting over their loss. If time continued to move along the way it had, they would be just fine. Mitch had other plans for himself. He didn't care about the money, but he would find ways of getting by if he started to run out. His eyes had been opened by what he saw that day. The spirits in the house were real. They were brought on by a satanic ritual, but there had to be other places around the country that similar things had happened. There had to be more than the one house he'd been in. Doing research told him that his instincts were correct. There were other places. He was going to find those places and make sure that nothing happened as it had to the old man, Mike, and Linda. Was he still a ghost hunter? He supposed he was, but a different kind. He was now doing it for retribution. He wanted to make up for the loss of his wife and make the world a safer place from the things that most people couldn't explain. He would get rid of them all, 
no matter how many houses he had to burn down to do it. So that was the final part of Secrets Out. The final part of the house. A lot of finality to this. There's been a lot going on. I want to talk about as much of it as I can in this little limited amount of time that we have together. I'm going to start with why this episode is late. You probably have noticed that this episode is dropping about uh, four days late. And there's a very good reason for that. And it is lots of issues with software. Lots of issues. I was preparing the episode for release when I was listening back because I needed to do some more stuff with voices in this episode and I wanted to listen back. And I listened to last week's episode and at least on my website there was a lot of echo. And couldn't figure out where that was coming from. I started going back and trying to figure out what was causing the echo in the story portion of of the episode, and I still, nothing was working the way it was supposed to, so I decided it is time. I am completely going to upgrade everything, update all of the, all of the software I have, and let's finally get this new version of GarageBand, which I've been avoiding like the plague, Let's get that thing going, and let's see if that helps. And let me tell you, so far, so good. This thing is uh, pretty slick. I still have to move it over to my other machine to completely put the episode together, but I will be doing that as soon as I can, and hopefully this all sounds better for you. It is a lot of of re-learning because I'm so used to the buttons being in totally different spots and had a completely different workflow, and this is just a lot different, but so far so good. It sounds good what I've heard of it, so we're going to keep going with it. All right, updates. Secrets Out, the actual ebook, is available on iTunes, on the iBook store, as we speak. If you're interested, go get it. It's only $2.99. Go, grab it. You've already listened to it. You know, what the heck? Have it as a little, you know, something you can send to your friends and say, hey, check this out. Some people like to read as opposed to listen. Other people like to listen as opposed to read. It doesn't matter. I'm trying to get my story out there, my stories out there as much as possible. So check that out. And the Nook store should be I'm guessing another two weeks yet, and the Kindle store should be sometime this week, and I'll be posting it on goingpostalpublishing.com as well. All right, as I said before, this is the final episode for a while, so it's go- we're going dark for probably about two months, I'm guessing minimum. I would like to have everything done within three months. The next book coming out is The School. I am currently heavily editing it, and getting it ready. The story itself is really good. It just needs some tweaking. I think that after I get through this round of edits, I'm going to send it out, have some people check it to make sure that everything matches the way it's supposed to. Everything looks good. I'm not using too many words too close together and all that good stuff. 
And once that's done, I'll go through it one more time and we'll be done with it and it will be out. I will be recording that as part of the final edits and it will be coming out to you shortly after that. So I'm guessing within three months, I should have everything going good. I will keep you all posted through this form. I will be posting on the on the feed as well as on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash publishing on Twitter, that's at goingpostalpub, and the website, as I already mentioned, goingpostalpublishing.com. If you have any questions, comments, or cheap shots that you want to give me about that, if you want to complain about the previous audio issues that I'm going to be resolving before the school comes out, please direct that to goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. So that's about going to do it for this episode. There is one last little bit I need to mention. So I did receive some emails sporadically throughout the course of all these of these episodes airing and was asking about the author's notes. Was there going to be author's notes? Because a lot of other authors have author's notes for their short stories. Yes, there are author's notes, but it is only going to be available in the ebook and print versions of Secrets Out. So that's my little thing there. It's nothing major, but it's a little thing to say, hey, it's a cheap ebook. Please, if you want to hear more of the background to the stories, by all means, go get the cheap ebook and uh, help support this uh, this band of pirates, I guess. You know, we're we're a band of pirates going out there, setting our setting sail in the open seas and trying to do this our own way, as opposed to the publishing industry. I had a fun time explaining that to my softball team when they asked me about what I did in my spare time and told them about this telling them that this is the medium at which, that I've chosen as opposed to going for the big uh, publishing industry, which I have no interest in doing at this time. They found that a little strange, but that's what you do. I want control of my stories. I want my stories to be the way I want them to be. I don't want them diluted. I don't want somebody else telling me this is what you should do because sometimes it doesn't always work out, and I don't like arguing with people. I've turned over a new lead. I don't like arguing with people. I call you an asshole and I move on. (laughs) Okay, enough about that. Let's get out of here. It'll be a couple of weeks for sure before I post anything, but I will keep you all posted. Thank you all for listening to Secrets Out. Thank you all for staying subscribed. Thank you all to those of you who have told your friends and have tried to spread the word. I appreciate it. I rely on all of you. So until then, thank you all and bye-bye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.